Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. My guest today is author and storyteller extraordinaire Kevin Kling, who's best known for his popular commentaries on National Public Radio's All Things Considered and his storytelling stage shows like Tales from the Charred Underbelly of the Yule Log. Kevin delivers hilarious, often tender stories, including hopping freight trains, getting hit by lightning, performing his band play in Czechoslovakia, growing up in Minnesota and eating things before knowing what they are. He's been awarded numerous arts grants and fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts, the McKnight Foundation, the Minnesota State Arts Board, and many more. Kevin travels around the globe telling stories and teaching residencies and has been invited to perform at the acclaimed National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee for several years. He has released a number of compact disc collections of his stories and has published five books, including On Stage with Kevin Kling. Kevin, I'm honored to have you on the show today. I'm honored to be here. Thanks. Uh, So now I didn't say this during the intro, but I did mention that just before we got on the air that I've heard you emcee a number of events over the years, both at the festival, I believe you, yeah, at the festival and also online over this last year. And I just love how you do a great job of emceeing when you uh, affirm the person that you're introducing without trying to steal the show from them. That's a balance that a lot of MCs don't seem to be able to uh, to sort of hit on the mark. Oh, well, thanks. I, you know, because when we were talking about it, I thought, why, how does that happen? And then I remember I've done several uh, adaptations, especially for kids, kids books into plays hmm. and for mostly children's theaters. And uh, and and the whole idea behind that is you want to you want to maintain their voice, that you want to be a conduit, not for their voice, but for the medium. And mm-hmm. so I think coming on stage, you want to be the, the conduit for the moment to the person, to the audience. And so often storytelling is a, a place in time and another place in time. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to meet, you're trying to introduce those two things when you're the MC. I think. I think that's a great insight. And, uh, you know, it's, of course, live storytelling is a sh- social encounter online. It's a little different, you know, when we're doing Zoom calls and whatever it is. But but there's always that magical kind of encounter between the listeners and the storyteller and providing that opportunity for the people who are listening to meet and um, kind of hand off the, the baton to the to the uh, storyteller. That's, that's a great gift. And uh, I know that it, uh, people who are part of that always value that type of type of an MC in the program. Yeah, it's an introduction. You know, you just remind me, one of my favorite quotes is a Borges quote, and it's about uh, storytelling and the relationship between the storyteller and the listener. And he said, the relationship is like that of eating an apple. You don't know if the flavor is in the apple or in the mouth. And I think that is the way it is with storytellers and listeners. Where is that flavor? We don't know. It's somewhere in between because mm. it's not the teller because you need the audience. It's not the audience because you need the teller. And so 
when you know it's working, you can't tell where the flavor is coming from. That is a really interesting insight. And I think the best storytellers over the years that I've seen, that I've interviewed, have this ability to have prepared well in advance. They're prepared, but they also have this ability to be responsive to the audience, to not just plow forward through their the material as if people were there or weren't there, but that there's that magical connection. And also sometimes the story changes and adapts just based on how the audience reacts. It, it is really part of the art form. Uh, I don't know how many times I've either emceed somebody or just told a story and on the way out, the next storyteller on the way to the stage will go, oh, now I know what to tell. Huh. And it's because you are really beholding to the moment. Uh, and I think that is... A storytelling is as much conversation as it is performance because you're always listening to the audience. The audience is always giving you clues. And in a conversation, you would know to pick up on those clues mm-hmm. and you would shift gears or you'd change, you know, focus or something. And uh, a storyteller, really, that's that's part of the art form, I think. How do you know when you're about to go on stage, which story it is for you to share with that audience that day? Well, a lot of times I, I kind of liken it to being a football coach. <laughs> that they have their plays they'll put at the beginning of a game. And by those plays, they'll know about the other team. They'll know more about the other team. And so when I get up on stage, I have some stories that I can tell. And the audience will tip their hand on, do they want to go in this direction or this direction? Mm-hmm. And and, a, and an evening or a series of stories is always like there's forks in the road. And I'll come to the fork in the road. And if I feel a little waning in the laughter, I'll know, I'll know okay, this audience needs me to go deeper. Okay, mm-hmm. this audience needs this. And then you have to decide, do I give them what they want or what they don't want, which is usually what they really want. And so, so those, those are some of the forks you hit and, you, and then you just run with it and you hope for the best. And I always tell people, if an audience doesn't laugh at one of your early jokes, that's not a bad thing. They will carry. They feel like they owe you one later on. They're going to get a freebie later on because the audience will, because oh, everybody wants you to succeed, you know. Yeah. Uh, the audience wants to have a good time and you want to have a good, you know, and so uh, and they feel bad if a joke bomb, so you got a freebie later. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. I know uh, when I started telling stories many years ago, I went to this one uh, um, event to, to tell stories, and I thought it was for the teachers of this high school, but it was actually for all the teachers who'd ever been at the high school. Oh, so I had some stories about being a teacher and so on, but there were probably 70% of the people there had retired from teaching and so on. So anyway, I was young at the time and I was telling a story and they didn't laugh at all. I started. And so I was just like, what do I do? So I said, folks, it's been scientifically proven that if you feel like laughing and you don't do it, that laughter will settle down inside of you and widen out your hips. (laughs) And they didn't laugh. Oh, no. And then I said, and I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, and looking around this room, 
I can see there are a few of you who've not been laughing enough and they did not laugh. And I had 45 minutes to go from there. It just went downhill. And I remember leaving that saying to my wife, I'm never telling another story. again." Oh, oh man, we've all been there. And yeah. there, there are some things you just can't pull out of the hole. Just, <laughs> no, no, we've all been there. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and everything. I, I remember though, and I, 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 this one, I got lucky. It was right before the Affordable Care Act. It was going to be a voted for. And I was doing a show for insurance salesmen. So everybody's job in that room was going to change the next day, no matter which wow. way the vote fell. Oh, so wow. however that vote was going to fall, their jobs are going to change. And all these guys were just on pins and needles. These men and women, and they're in this room. And I go, God, if, if I said something, if I go to tragedy, they're going to like jump out the window. And they're <laughs> not going to laugh. So I ended up telling love stories oh. and, I, and I didn't know why it worked. You know, after a long time later, I figured out why is that almost everybody had gotten into that business because they loved their community. They mm -hmm. loved their, you know, and they were there. They were, however they were that day, they'd probably entered with a sense of doing, doing some good for the world, doing mm -hmm. some good for this community, having some protect, you know, and so uh, these love stories just for some reason, worked and I that but for me that was my last resort I if that if that hadn't have gone I would have just I would have tanked which happens you know oh my goodness well it happens you know I've talked to comedians and so on everyone has their stories of uh, you know a night where things didn't necessarily go as they planned but I love how you sort of emphasize look the audience wants you to succeed and as long as you're responding to that and I think as long as people see a genuine you know, uh, I don't know, vulnerability or something from uh, the storyteller that there's a connection that's that's built up there. And yeah, one joke might not get the reaction that you want, but maybe later on something deeper will. Well, I think you've just you've you've touched on one of the crucial things of when I teach, which is not very often, is that one of the longest sessions of my teaching is on the invitation, hmm. um, because and until you have a connection with the audience, you can't go anywhere. So you have to find that common ground. And if you want an audience to step toward you, you have to step toward them. You have to show a bit of vulnerability at the top. And it can be vulnerability through humor, through other things. But the audience both in the beginning needs to know who you are, but they also need to know who they are. Hmm. And who am I in this? You know, where, what, what, what is this? What is going to be required of me? And, and, and when you show a little bit of vulnerability, you let them know we're going to be able to go to some deeper places. We're going to be able to go to these things. And you take some of the onus off of them. Uh, I remember that I, I was the first time I told stories in New York. I was so excited and I was going to get to tell in New York and I was having my breakfast that morning, which was eggs and potatoes and toast and coffee. And the waitress <laughs> walks by. So I asked her for some water and she goes, it's in the coffee. And I'm like, it's in the coffee. <laughs> this is not Minnesota. And, I thought, <laughs> and then I started to worry, how am I going to connect? And so that connection that night, about three quarters of my show was invitation. How do I bring a New York urban crowd into this rural Minnesotans life? Where do we connect? And then when we did it, 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 it did find an end going well, but it took, a, it just took a longer invitation. Hmm. 
You know, that's a good insight. And I'm thinking about what are some of the ways that the invitation, when it's successful, in other words, is it a story about a universal theme? Do you find, uh, like you mentioned, love or sacrifice, belonging, acceptance, something like that? Or is it more humor, do you think? It is a lot of times it is humor. Because when you laugh with somebody, one of the biggest fallacies is that humor is universal because it really is not universal. It is so specific. When you laugh with somebody, you uh, have you share family, faith, community. You share something with that audience. And so when you laugh, you've immediately established uh, a sense of family. Hmm. And and I've and people ask, ask every once in a while, what's the difference between storytelling and a stand-up comedian? Hmm. And a comedian closes a door with a joke, but a storyteller opens a door with a joke. Hmm. In other words, if I uh, if people are laughing. I'm that's not the end of that. That to me means, okay. now we can go further. Mm. Now we can now our now our hearts are connected and I can go further. I mean, I was years ago telling ice fishing stories in the middle of the outback of Australia, thinking I was going to blow their minds because it's (laughs) like 115 out. And I'm talking about walking on a frozen lake, you know, walking on water. They say for their deities, you know. Uh uh, So I'm like telling these stories and they're laughing like a bunch of Minnesotans. And I could not figure it out, you know, and half of the group was uh, indigenous Australians. And so I asked this guy, God Labardi, at the end, I said, you know, why, how'd you guys get all that Minnesota humor? And he said, I think it's because our weather can kill us too on the other (laughs) side of the thermometer. (laughs) And so whatever it was, we connected, you know, and, uh, and, um, and then after that, then you can really, then you can test the water. Then you can test. And by testing, I think it's part of our responsibility as a storyteller to get somewhere neither of us figured we would go hmm. in the storytelling. That that's the whole idea that storytelling is both about connection and challenge. Um, it, it, it fits with the word belonging it is actually when you mention that word, it's two words. It's being and longing. Mm-hmm. So you're being somewhere, but you're longing to be somewhere else at the same time. And so when we live in that paradox, we're in our most comfort. And, and so finding and 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 working with that paradox. That so the tops of my work or shows or sets will be the being part, and then the second part will be the longing part. Mm-hmm. What is just beyond our grasp? What are we reaching for in this moment, at this time, with this audience? I like how you mentioned it's a paradox. I mean, uh, you know, as a writer and as a storyteller, I've mentioned that to some people at times, too. And that is that our world is broken and fragile and also hurting. I mean, we can't turn on the news without seeing that. But it's also a world of just amazing love and sacrifice and compassion. And so it isn't one or the other. It's both that people do live in castles and children do live in garbage dumps. And this is our, it's our world. And true, I think stories that really resonate with people don't close one eye to uh, to the way the world is, but they invite us deeper into what it really means to be human. That's it. Yeah, it is the human experience. And it is the the true human experience because we do live in paradox. We do. We all do. Um, and a hero's journey isn't complete until we find what the hero has lost in their mm-hmm. triumph. I mean, w- uh, the, uh, my friend Patricia Francisco says that a story isn't a story until it's two stories. 
Hmm. And I really agree with that, that it's um, or as John Berger said, stories bring meaning to experience. And what that is, it's it's a perspective to your perception. It's a it's another you know, it, it it's looking at something from the outside you know, as you're telling about from the inside, I know that's hard, to, but that's what you do as a storyteller. You're both in the moment and you're somewhere you're ahead of the moment when you're telling a story because you have to be completely engaged. But yeah. at the same time, your little wheels are going, where, where are we going here? You know? Where are we going? I forgot the main part. And, and a lot of times, I, you know, as a storyteller, I'm as guilty as this. We'll get to the whole end of the story and we forgot what we were supposed to say <laughs> that connected the whole thing. And so we have to say that. But yeah. Oh, God. Now, uh, in the stories that I've heard you tell in the past, you have a really, an, I feel like a really just a witty kind of observance of life, quick witted, but but also there's uh, there's moments I would say of like sort of profound observations about the world wisdom woven in. I was just curious when you start a new story or you're working on it, do you have a message that you think of that you're trying to get across uh, or are you exploring that experience to kind of see, tap into it? What's actually there? Yeah, I think it's this, the the second for me, I think it's, uh, I, a moment will happen where I'll know something's in it. Mm -hmm. I'll know something's in this moment. And so I'll start telling the story and it might be two tellings. It might be, I told one story for five years before it told me what it was about. Mm. Um, and, and so I'll keep listening to the story that I'm telling, waiting for it to tell me what it's about. But I do know that something's in there. I do know. I mean, it's like, um, it, it's like so often there's, answers we hold and we're just waiting for their questions mm -hmm. and we just hold these like things that happen that we know are you know that will serve us later or so um uh, uh, you know it's like a buddy of mine he is um he's got perfect pitch he's blind schizophrenic uh a christian and gay he's all and he said there's so much conflict within him sometimes mm -hmm. he, he thinks of committing suicide or he did and then he was in a laundromat and he heard all the machines were going. It was a really busy time. But in that in that laundromat, he could hear patterns. Mm. And he said, if he thought, if there are patterns in this place, there are patterns in my life as well. Mm. And he said, that's the last day he's thought of suicide. Wow. Because he knows in times there will be patterns. And that's the way I look at a story. I'll, I'll, I'll get to something that I know is larger than I can hold it. But I'll know there that the patterns will come to me that will will be the story it will become that I've got an answer waiting for its question. It's uh, it's actually refreshing to hear you say all that because I feel like a lot of the books that I see on writing and storytelling, it's almost like you should start with your theme of what you're trying to get across and then sort of build up the buttress underneath that and. Um, Flannery O'Connor has this great quote, and I'm going to do it off the top of my head, so it might not be word for word, but she said, if you can state the theme of a story, if you can separate it from the story itself, you can be certain that the story is not a very good one. Oh, God, I love her, and I nicely done. Yeah, and so, you know, she's yeah. like... This, the the meaning of a story is has to be concrete in it, and it takes every word of the story to say what the meaning is. And I just really believe that, you know, people might say, well, what's the story about? What's your book about? It's hard for me to sort of give them 
the the pitch or the, the theme. No, and that's not your job. I, I've yeah. heard in the storytelling world, and I really glommed onto what somebody once said, if you have to tell the moral, you haven't told the story. Hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it should be in there, but it should be nuanced and complex because we're all going to take a different moral. Mm. I think that, uh, I think part of story too is that it is that there should be enough meaning in there that people can glean what they, that what they will out of it. So I, I don't even know if it's as, it's, it's even as purposeful as not including it, mm. but it's more, it is a purpose to not include it, that it is because if you include it, then someone will go, oh, no, I missed the point of that story. Uh-huh. Well, then they're going to discount what they did get out of the story. And that's not what you want. So, yeah, I'll leave a uh, uh, leave interpretation up to the up to the audience. Yeah, that's powerful. Um I was, uh, I was, as you were talking about this a little bit, I was thinking, you know, every author or storyteller that I know has their own origin story. So I thought I'd just ask you real quickly, how did you get started in this career, in this life? Um, well, the, the, the business answer is I was in a kitchen in a party and I was just blabbing away like you do. And the kitchen's the best place and at a party. And so I'm in there just yakking away. And there was a producer of a theater in there. I didn't even know it. And she says, do you want to do that on stage? And I said, what? And she goes, just what you did in my kitchen. <laughs> he just put me in her season the next year. And I just got up on stage and just started talking. Huh. And uh, and I didn't even know, you know, I didn't know there was a career and I didn't know anything about it. And uh, and so th- that was really career-wise got what got me going. But I just love stories. I love them. Even as a kid, I just, you know, I just would thrill at a good story. It's And even to this day, when I hear one, I would 10 times rather hear a good story than tell one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I nailed it. If a kid comes up and says, you're almost as good as my grandpa. There I'll you go. go. Oh, oh, I love it. You hear that. And you're like, <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. Because it connected with the kid. And I, 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 I don't know if it, I think it's beyond the connection, though. I loved how stories made me feel. Mm. I loved the way they made me question, the way they validated me, the way they, you know, um, and, and, and people can't see this, but I, I was born with a disability mm. and I found such validations in so many of the stories that I heard. Um, and, 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 and rhetoric was really important. And I've told people about that. As a kid, people would call my arm withered or crippled or say, you poor thing. Mm. But by the words they chose, I could tell whether they blamed me, my parents, God or themselves for my condition. And with that information, I could get what I needed out of them. Mm. In other words, rhetoric was so important to me as a kid because people used different words around me than they did other kids. Mm -hmm. And I could also see that it's like it's not what people said. It was how and why they said it which were the clues in the story. Mm-hmm. And so not, and, and, and I love literature. I love the written word, but it, it, for me, it, 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 um, it, it became the oral in interpretation. I love the way people speak. I love what they reveal about themselves through speech. Mm-hmm. I love the way the, the, that language and you can play with language and you can, you know, taste the words as they're coming out and, you know, the word and, I love how the, the, the Greeks felt spirit 
and breath were the same word. Mm-hmm. And so your breath, you as you breathe out, you pick up the spirit and it passes the thought and comes out the top of your spine and through your mouth. And so it's this this flow of spirit and thought that, that enters the world. And so we're when we pick that up, we're picking up all those visceral images and all that, all that that goes into that. So the oral uh, uh, interpretation of stories always uh, just infatuated me and where I could go. And, you know, one of the other clues that you hear in storytelling is working imagery, not words. Mm-hmm. And it's in, in that there could be no truer. Uh, it's one of the, you know, top five things I think in storytelling to keep in mind that you're working in worlds and not words. You're creating, you're conjuring. And you're and because then you're letting the people that you're telling the story, that the listener is now conjuring the worlds in their own mind with the tools they have, with what a dark forest is to them, with what a child is to them. With and that and that's the key. So when you say that, I'm guessing but I'm not sure, but, uh, but I'm kind of guessing that you probably don't write out your stories word for word or anything like that and try to memorize them. Not unless a radio show goes, you have three minutes. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. If I got, if, if I, if I've got open ended time, I will not write a word. In fact, the books I've done uh, have all been probably after 15 years of telling mm-hmm. most of those stories. That's the first time they've seen the page. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, the, the, just because an, the oral tradition holds us through different kinds of threads. Um, I, I mean, I know how this sounds, but it's true. A story enters through different orifices than when you read. <laughs> you know, you're going into the ears. You're going into, you know, it's so many other, it, it, it's it's ingested by so many other things than, than, the, than the page. And uh, so the page... Which I'm I'm a huge fan of literature. Giant. I mean, I read voraciously. But and and you bring up Flannery O'Connor, and one of the reasons I love her so much is I can hear her hmm. when I read her. Hmm. And there's other. Uh, so I'm I'm usually drawn to the literature of of writers that write with voice. Hmm. That I that their voice comes off the page. Um, so. That yeah that yeah and I don't know where we even started this. Oh, that's all right. No, that's good. That's, yeah. Um, so, but that's interesting that you know you always have loved just spoken word, just stories that you've you've heard and so on, and then it just became just really. It sounds like it became so important to you that when this opportunity came up to you tell stories in this theater and so on. That actually ended up launching this um, this new direction for for where you've ended up, and um, yeah, yeah. And then I got in a motorcycle accident after about twenty years of telling of, of performing and telling stories, and then everything shifted. Oh, because I really and I still believe the importance of entertainment in storytelling, which it is. It's you just can't. Oh man, to laugh with people is mm. a tonic like nothing else. Um, but when I got in my this motorcycle accident, I healed mostly through stories. Mm-hmm. My stories connected my body to my mind. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, my, it really had a profound effect on my healing. And so since then, healing and storytelling, and that was 2001, have mm-hmm. really been my focus. It really, it really put in play 
um, so, something that I might have thought but might have never got to, and that is how storytelling can help us heal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially recently, that has really come into play. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why a lot of people are turning to storytellers in this time, is that it, it really is a, a, a form of healing. What are when you say that and someone's listening, they might say, I don't know how that works or how, how does that work for me? You know, maybe they they say I'm, I'm hurting, I'm alone or I'm grieving or I just went through a divorce or whatever it is. How can stories and storytelling be a positive impact in people who are going through a difficult time? Well, a lot of times it is knowing that you're not alone, hmm. knowing that there's a community that you're with. Um, sometimes in a story, it gives you clues as to how you can pull yourself out of this situation. Um, and again, sometimes it's it's knowing that you're part of a community. Uh, sometimes, and, and for me, it it did it did both of those things. Um, it also it also connects us again. This is especially some of those recent studies. Like uh, there's there's a a, 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 a a trauma expert named Vanderkolk who works with the body and healing. Hmm. And you'd think, well, he's working with the body and healing, but he says the key to the whole thing is the story that when you can tell a story about something, uh, it's, you start taking control of it. Hmm. And it is true that every time you tell a story, you change it. Hmm. Um, You, and, and what you're doing is you're taking your story and every time you tell it, it's becoming more and more something that you can handle more in your vernacular, more the way you see the world. And I've heard a definition that I agree with because I suffer from post-traumatic stress is that post-traumatic stress is never leaving the first day it happened. Mm -hmm. And so your story never changes. So your story is always that day that it happened. And it's always the fear that that happened. And the thing that storytelling can do is it can move you from that first day into a, a, into a, a day. And, you know, the first time you see a doctor, the first time you see a therapist, when you tell the doctor your story, you have begun the healing process, even with the doctor, but you've begun it with story. Hmm. And and a good doctor, I found, is like a good lawyer, teacher, pastor. They're on the journey with you. Hmm. They're, and that's like a storyteller. It's that you're on, you're on the journey with me. You're going through this with me. It's not a guide. It's not somebody telling you what to do. It's somebody whose success is tied into yours. Hmm. Me as a storyteller, my success in an evening is tied to the success success of you as an audience member. And I found that that's the doctors I'm drawn to, Hmm. a doctor or therapist or pastor. Hmm. My success in healing, either spiritually, physically, mentally, is tied into their success. Hmm. Yeah, that's... um... That's really fascinating. Um, and I was thinking of people who might be listening saying, well, that, that's all well and good for people who have powerful stories. Like maybe they say, I don't have any stories to tell. Nothing interesting ever happened to me. Do you ever run into that at your residencies where people will, will say something like that? I do all the time and I'll go start talking (laughs) later. They're going, Oh yeah, I guess I do have, you know, it's like, no, you start blabbing and you got a story. Believe me, everybody, every, 
And that's why earlier, I remember when we were talking, you brought up the moth. One of my favorite things about the moth is the, the belief in that program that everyone has a story. Yeah. And it's true. And, and we give our lives values through our struggles and our struggles find voice in our stories. Hmm. And so our value comes from, you know, and, and so I think that people that that and, and, and we found, especially with people have different ways they need to express their stories. Um, as some vets I know that we've worked with, uh, um, they really need to write them down. Hmm. They're not comfortable yet telling them. And I totally get that. So sometimes you just need to write them. But in, in every case, in all cases, getting that story out is your step toward controlling it. Hmm. It's your step that, that because when it's in your own words, you, uh, oh God, what are this girls? Oh, I know there's two. There's a saying from Zimbabwe until the lion tells the story, the hunter will always be the hero. And it's like this little girl one time got up before her story when we were working. And she said, if you don't tell your story, it will tell you. Hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I mean, leave it to a little kid, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, it's one of the that saying will never leave me because it's really true. As long as you let your story tell you you're in beholding to it. Mm -hmm. But when you start to tell your story, then again, you're in the process with your story. Um, you, you're, you're part of it. Now, one of the things you mentioned just a minute ago was struggle, this idea of struggle that, that stories have, um, you know, some people will call it tension, conflict, struggle, different terms, different writers will approach things in slightly different ways. But, but I actually really think that that's an important aspect of great stories as a character trying to uh, maybe accomplish something or learn something or, um, you know, maybe avoid something terrible, but, but there, it's a struggle. And if it's too easy, we're not interested in it. It's sort of, odd like we care about the characters and stories and so because we care we want bad things to happen to them oh God, of course <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah. i love what you just said yeah so when uh, we look at our lives are there certain ways to uncover struggles that are good ones for us to tell or how do you look at kind of that perspective as far as struggles and, and the stories that we might tell? Well, a lot of times is like when you take a vacation, there's the trip you plan and the trip you take. Uh -huh. And so, you know, you, you get back and you go, what happened? And, 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 it, but, and in stories, that's what you do. You find that. And a lot of storytellers call it the aha moment or mm -hmm. the moment, but I'll have a moment in my life or somebody will say something and I'll just latch on that will make a good story or that is a good story. I'll have no idea what the story is. Mm -hmm. And I'll just take that idea and I'll sit down and write. I don't even know where that will fall in the mm -hmm. story, you know, but it, it, a story I have to remind people is something happens. And when something happens, you know, that usually means you, something interceded into your life or you had to make a choice in your life or something, or, you know, intersections in your life's travel that that then, you know, you have to deal with. And those and those do make that that, that conflict. And, and you brought up something that I want to touch on because I think it's so important in stories, uh, not in both the paradox we were talking about earlier, but also what we're talking about now is that a lot of times there's villains in our stories. And there's, you know, and 
one of the things I try to get really clear with people is you've got to honor your villains. And by that, I mean, think of all the best villains you've ever in all of literature, all the stories. They're, they're kind of seductive. They're complex. They're charismatic. They're, they have a lot of layers. If you make your villain too one dimensional, um, just like evil, I mean, that's as far as that, you know, then the hero can only come up to that point. Mm. And I, I always think a hero is only as good as the villains they face. So if there is a bit of charisma, if there is a bit of, you know, something about that villain, now that hero's journey, now the hero has to, that's a conflict in the hero. Because mm. now the, the hero realizes, oh, this villain has a little bit of me in them. And I think that that makes, that makes a, a, a journey much more rewarding and difficult when you realize that that what you're fighting is sometimes a piece of yourself. Mm, wow. Yeah, sometimes I've taught people in writing classes that um, well, basically kind of what you just said about heroes and villains and, and the, the idea that your hero has to rise to the challenge that, and I think you maybe even just said that he's only as good as the antagonist or and forces of antagonism he has to overcome so if you're telling a story and there's a cat burglar around your detective doesn't really have to be all that world class to solve it but if it's the most clever burglar <laughs> the city has ever seen and your hero is there how, how is he gonna it's a mist it's a completely impossible mystery to solve. <laughs> well now he's gonna rise to the challenge so yeah a lot of times i think those villains and antagonists are there to bring characteristics of your main character out yeah the story it's one of my favorite in the simpsons one time uh his sister bart and his sister you know are, are sitting out on a field and his sister says you know bart if you could be anything what would it be and bart says a butterfly and it just totally surprises her. She says a butterfly that's beautiful bart and he says Yes, because no one suspects the butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. I like that. I love it, but it's there. It is is that no one suspects the butterfly, and so that's a, that's a great villain, you know. And uh, and and in in stories, well, especially in theater, we love a villain. I mean, we love a villain so much, and in stories too. But uh, on stage. I mean, the difference, too, but when I was talking earlier about the difference between comedy and storytelling, to me, the difference between theater and storytelling is in in theater, you're uh, an audience member is a voyeur. You're looking through a wall and you don't have to relate to those characters. In fact, it's better when you don't. It's better when somebody gets out and they're just the biggest jerk on the planet. I mean, no. And you're like, yeah, buddy, go for it. <laughs> as a storyteller, you have to establish trust. And in theater, you don't have to establish trust. You can, in fact, it's it, like I said, it's almost better when you don't. But as a storyteller, you're you're the guide through this thing. So you're the one that will bring you to that villain. But you need a, you need a sense of trust. So it's a it's 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 really two different. The the wall is down when you're a storyteller, and it becomes a conversation. When you're a performer in a play, the wall is still there, even though we can see through it. I think I was talking to Ed Stivender one time and he explained his perspective. He said, uh, you know, theater and storytelling that um, it's about what you pretend. And so I said, what, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, in a, in a play, 
the actor pretends that the audience isn't there and the audience pretends that the actor can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> but it, in storytelling, the storyteller doesn't pretend that the audience isn't there and the audience doesn't pretend that the storyteller can't see them. Well, that's pretty an interesting uh, way of looking at it. I love it. I love yeah. Ed too. I just yeah. love it. Oh God. Ed is one of the, he's the one of the absolute best, but yeah, that's uh that is a good one. I love the, the, the way you just put that. Yeah, the yeah, way it's, that it's, how, what are you pretending? Which way? What, what are you it, pretending and stuff? Now um, I know that you just recently taught a class um, uh, for the uh, East Tennessee state universities um, doc, uh, not doctoral program, but graduate program in storytelling. And I was curious when you were teaching that, or when you teach your other residencies, what, what are a couple of the things that you really want to emphasize to people who uh, maybe want, maybe don't have a lot of confidence in their own storytelling um, abilities. I don't know that it's overcoming stage fright, but maybe it's just overcoming, you know, the, the fear of looking silly or whatever it is. What are some of the things that you've found that are helpful for people in that journey? There's a lot of things. I mean, one of the things, if you call yourself a fool before anyone else does and beat them to the punch, you've got it made, you know. And so I love I love self-effacing stories. I mm-hmm. love that. But a, a lot of um, a lot of what I in getting people to tell stories, the key to any storyteller, whether you're a professional or a novice, is what makes you the expert of this story? Mm-hmm. Why are you the, if you come in with why you're the expert of the story? you're already going to have confidence. Why should you be telling this story? Why are you, you know, and that usually requires some kind of intimate detail you share with the story. What, you know, where do you connect if it is a fairy tale with it is. And even in the beginning of the story, if you would want to share, you know, there was something that happened to me in my life that was this, and here's a story, you know, and then there's story. But, and that, when you know why you're the expert of that story, will carry throughout the whole story. Hmm. And it will also make it personal. It should be your own. You have to make a story your own. Why is this your story? Why are you not telling? Again, why aren't you, you're not just telling words. You're telling something that emanates from yourself. Um, And so that's one of the main things. So usually when I work with people early on and brand new storytellers, I'll work with like their names their, you know, home, their own homes. There's things that, you know, when I do that in storytelling is when I tell, I'll start with family, I'll start with home, because it's, you know, where, where are we the experts of our worlds? And then you can go out from there. Um, I remember I taught a class years ago at the University of Minnesota, and, and there was a lot of theater students in it. So I had them do monologues early on, and they were all pretending to be kings and queens and noble and everything. <laughs> then we did a whole semester of personal storytelling, stories about your personal stuff. And at the end, we had extra time. And I went, you know, just for, I didn't even think of wise. And so I said, let's do those monologues again. And they got up and they did the monologues. And then they were the kings and queens. Hmm. They were, all of a sudden, these monologues that they just put on over the top of themselves were emanating from inside themselves because they just worked with so many personal stories that that's what they now did. So these kings and queens stories were personal stories. Hmm. And I've even gotten arguments over overseas because so many countries overseas, they, they are steeped in traditional stories, which is beautiful. I love them. Um, but I tend to tell personal stories. 
and they're not really, you know, told as much overseas mm. uh, in England. And I remember getting in an argument one night with a man and he said, uh, and I said, well, all these stories you're telling, weren't they personal at one time? And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess they were. And I go, well, give me 800 years and the story of me in the back of the station wagon is going to be pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All it takes is 800 years. Yeah, and then my, my ride in the station wagon is going to be brilliant. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, so I think that, uh, yeah, I, but, but, but that was a long way around here. I just think that enjoy yourself when you're telling a story. Uh, don't worry how it's going. If you're trying to say the words you're, you're trying to memorize, it's going to come back and bite you. Just let her rip. Uh, have signposts. So in case you get off the track, you get back to the signposts. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. And yeah, treat it like a conversation. You're home. You're done. Now, before we close up, I, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about truth in personal stories. So when I like to tell personal stories. I know you tell them quite a bit. And uh, so the question kind of comes up is if I'm teaching people storytelling, they say, well, how much can I change and still claim it's true? Or what if I change the names of someone? Is Can I still claim it's true? What's your take on some of those questions related to telling personal stories? You know, it, it, to, for me, it's whatever works for you. Yeah. I try to tell as accurately as I can because I find I'm not as good a liar as I am a chronicler. <laughs> so the and the absurdities that happen to me are better than my lies. <laughs> and so I just I, I try to stick one, a couple of things I will fudge on, though. I will move time together. Mm -hmm. Like I'll, I'll, I'll shorten time. Mm -hmm. If something happened over several sequences, I, I will squeeze them together as one. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll put thoughts that I have now into my thoughts I have as a kid. Mm -hmm. And and this is a kind of a, a, a secret that I use in storytelling is there are different times we're supposed to learn things in our lives. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of us didn't learn them either through, you know, our, our relationships with parents, with school, with other class, with love relationships that you should already know about when you get to be my age. Well, I don't. And so a lot of times I'll go back to that age when I should have learned it and put it in that person's mouth, because then the audience will go, especially if it has to do with theology, if it has to do with love, the trickier the subject, the more I'll go back to win I can, when can I honestly ask that question when I should have learned the answer? And then I'll put it in the mouth of, of myself as a kid. Um, and, and then people will say, yeah, well, you know, because they're having the same question, but the fact that I should already know about it doesn't give me as much credence as it would when it's in my mouth as a child. So sometimes I'll do yeah. that. That's fascinating. I've never heard anyone kind of phrase things or or construct it in that way. That's fascinating. So before we close up, are there any other words of encouragement that you would like to give to our listeners out there? People, uh, some are writers, some are storytellers, some are business leaders and executives and might say, yeah, I'd love to tell a little bit more of a story in my next business meeting or cooperative um, but uh, where, where do I get started? How would you encourage some of those people? Well, there's so many storytelling festivals online right mm -hmm. now. 
And then, and people love hearing a story. It doesn't have to be a personal story. It can be, you know, and you can go online and find these storytelling festivals and just listen to story, you know, and see if, but the key I think to telling them is what stories do you really connect with? Do you want to tell a personal story? Is something, you know, is, or uh, is there a, 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 a fairy tale or a myth or something that, that fits in? And, you know, People just love hearing a story. They love hearing an anecdote to start things, especially in, like you're saying, business meetings and other and other types of meetings and things. It really it it it, it really puts people in a, in more of a state of ease to whatever. Uh, I, I love Bill Lepp. He just, he said one time, <laughs> saying that uh, he, uh, preachers often ask him because he was a preacher. Uh, you know, what should I tell you know in the beginning? You know, I want to tell a joke and. Bill says, well, okay, you can tell a joke, but remember, like a surgeon, your first cut could really have an impact on the rest of the surgeon. <laughs> so, That's a good way to look at it. It's yeah. like Bill is one of the, oh, God, he's just yeah. brilliant. But uh, but for me, that that just means know why you're telling it. And mm-hmm. I would recommend that with preachers, you know, teachers, everything. When you know why you're telling it, then it'll then it'll be fine. A lot of times we all fall to the fact that, we think it's funny and we don't know why we're telling <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Like I was telling you earlier with me. So, well, um, this has been just a really, I've really enjoyed it, uh, the time together, Kevin, and um, just your sure. insights. And of course, as people who listen to the show know, I always love ta- talking story and storytelling with anyone, especially someone like with you, with your experience. And, and I know I've heard you tell stories before. And I've always enjoyed those. So wanted to um, just Thank you uh, officially for for being on the show and for taking the time to be here. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this. Thanks. And um, so if people are interested maybe in booking you or in watching some of your stories online, where would you direct them? What's the best website or maybe social media platform that that they could get to 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 hear more of your stories? Uh, Just go to KevinKling.com. And uh, you can you can both get a hold of me through that or or where I'm going to be next or what what festivals are coming up. Yeah. So check that out for sure. And I know you'll be telling at the National Festival uh, this October, won't you? Oh, yeah. Yep. So if um, if anyone is listening and you say, I've never heard of this storytelling business before a storytelling festival. Check out the National Storytelling Festival um, coming up the first weekend of October. Yeah. That's the what is their official name or is it just the National Storytelling Festival? The National Storytelling Festival, yeah. 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 And yeah, as you were saying, uh, you know, for people to, you know, figure out what stories they connect with, what do you like to hear? There is just a wonderful array for you to I mean, that is there's no better introduction than that yeah. festival. So that'll be a great place to listen to some world-class storytellers, and you'll be able to catch some of Kevin's stories there as well. Also, thank you to our listeners, everyone, for tuning in for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews. You can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember... The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.